Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Osiris. Hey, this is Oteal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Welcome back to another episode of comes a time. That's Oteal. That's Mike. And we had you do this one, buddy. You're the you're this is you're glowing over there. I'm still floating an inch off the ground. We had John Greenwald from the Black Vault. This guy is in my top three UFO people that if mm. I could wave a magic wand or rub Aladdin's lamp. And I just emailed him on Patreon and he said, sure, I'd love to be on the podcast. And I, I'm lucky I didn't fall over. He, he started doing FOIAs, which are Freedom of Information Act requests, when he was 15 years old. So you, you can write the government and get documents that are declassified. And he's a real tech guy. He's into a lot of things, military technology, just technology in general. He's into CIA, FBI, all this stuff. But a big part of it is UFO. And he has like just shy of 3 million pages of documents. Not all those are UFO, but there's a big chunk. And someone asked him if he had read all those documents. He was like, no way. But the UFO ones, I've read all of those, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and he's just a really super, uh, you know, our theme is common sense, logic. He's about the evidence. He's not, yeah, you know, like admitting it's what you don't know, but he's also just a really like tenacious, like he just does not let up. No, absolutely not. And he's, you could tell that he uh, cares a lot about what he talks about. I mean, he, he seems to, you know really choose every word wisely. And, and, and it's such an interesting time too, cause that nine page document just came out, which I feel like that document could have been one line. There's like, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not telling you what we know. And that's that, but whatever. I, I, he, I think it was so cool. Some to stuff talk. in it that we did. Like I was like signature management. I read that document this morning. I missed the term signature management. He's like, I did a FOIA about that. I was like, you know, so yeah. he's just like a fine tooth. He's doing the work. Man, he's doing he the work. doesn't miss nothing. No, absolutely. <laughs> he's on a list for crying out loud with the FBI. <laughs> See, it's called a, a Vexum list. So yeah. these are a list that they have of people that are just really annoying and always pestering. Yeah, what did he call it? A nuisance list? The Vexum list. Yeah, yeah. He said <laughs> That's it was what like the, the FBI the, called it. Yeah. 
Well, you know, man, it's just such an interesting thing that it's, and it's uh, all this, like, remember during the pandemic, even, and during all the social unrest of last year, little snippets would drop periodically. And that's the thing that I think is so interesting about it all is the choice of when things get dropped and how much, and we'll look further into it. It's always, it's like therapy. It's like, we'll get, we'll get to it next time. We'll get to it next time, you know? So I, I, I'm interested to have them back on. Oh, uh, man. We, we barely scratched the surface and in a topic that rich, I mean, how can you, you know, so, so far O'Teal with, with UFO chat, we've had Avi Loeb. Head of the uh, astronomy department at Harvard. (laughs) John John Greenwald Greenwald. started doing this at 15 years old. I think we're not doing that bad in this department, huh? Oh, man. And, you know, after you have Avi Loeb and John Greenwald, I'm thinking it's going to make it easier to get the other two of those top three that I'd like to get. So I'm going to circle back around with them because this is nice. This is really awesome. You know, there's certain people, too, that I think are like... uh, think about UFOs and think about uh, interplanetary and intergalactic connection and what it would be like. And some people think that when that happens, they're going to jump in the ocean screaming and yelling and some are going to grab all their guns and just start shooting at the sky because that's a threat. And other people are going to be climbing the mountains going, finally, you're here to get me off this piece of shit rock. So <laughs> it's kind of And then there's, a, there's all the other people that are going to be like, Oh, that's been happening to me all the time. I exactly. Know that. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> I knew that for those of you that had Colonel Bruce Hampton in your life, I was like, yeah. I knew it. <laughs> so you're going to enjoy this one. Comes yeah, to time, totally. fans. I can promise you that. Yeah. Thank you, John, for spending time with us. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And as always, we're here on the uh, Osiris Network, home to so many great podcasts. Check them out at OsirisPod.com and head over to Patreon for some bonus content and some great wormholes, book lists, playlists, you name it. Patreon.com slash comes a time pod. Uh, stay safe. Have a good summer. We'll see you next week. And uh, keep looking up into the skies, everybody, because they're watching. John, I like the uh, you have the the branded shirt. Yeah, th- I appreciate it. You know, it made it a lot easier than trying to figure out colors and shirts. And then <laughs> will people be judgmental on what I'm wearing? I'm like, all right, I'll just make a shirt. Just <laughs> make it real easy. Yeah, that's a really nice. I like that. Yeah, I, I feel bad that I don't have one of those yet, but it will be soon. Oh, uh, no, that's cool. I like your shirt. Uh, no, it's very, very cool. Uh, in my earlier like streaming, I would uh, for for television, you, you cannot wear stripes and you got to wear solid colors. Long story short, after like five or six web streams, I ran out of colors and I'm like, well, you know, if people see me in the same stuff, well, they, you know, again, you worry about that judgmental thing. So. Anyway, yeah. I worry. I worry too much. I know <laughs> that was like a Zoom, an early on Zoom podcasting moment where it's like I need to sit down and pick out like twenty something T shirts yeah. to Zoom with. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but we're glad to have you on, man. This is uh, perfect timing. I'm gonna admit I'm like completely freaking out right now because <laughs> you're one of my top three like favorite UFO people that I trust. 
And I know that's not the only thing that you do. But when you said, sure, I'd love to come on, I was just like, I felt dizzy. So this is great. I I appreciate that. Thank you. No, it was uh, was great to get your message and, and happy to do it. And the timing is so crazy. I was like, wow, like a couple of days after the UAP report drops, like what awesome timing. So I'm really thankful for that. And what's cool is I had my doubts it was even going to drop, to be honest with you. I didn't think it was, but hey, I love being wrong in situations like that. Yeah, I remember (laughs) when the Kennedy stuff was supposed to come out when Trump was in office. And so that's why I had my doubts about the UAP. I was like, yeah, they're going to kick this can down the road, you know. But Yeah. So, Which some would say maybe they still did. On, <laughs> on a lot of documents, they did, yeah. That was not as well publicized, but, but you must have paid attention. But yeah, there was a lot of documents that they still, despite Trump's, you know, order and, and desire, they still held on to him. And then after Trump was told, he goes, yeah, okay, I'll support it. So, hmm. Yeah. Well, I have to admit a bias in this to start off with that, you know, I don't want to say it's a not, but it just a lot of it feels very orchestrated to me. And I wanted to ask you how you felt about and just like spell out a few of the things why that make me feel like that. The first thing is that the military and government officials and mainstream media all did like a simultaneous 180 and their posture towards the UFO subject, right? It was just, and I know the New York Times article precipitated that, you know, uh, like kind of burst the dam. And so I was like, like you were, and I'm sure everybody was like, wow, all right, they're not going to roll the corny music and make jokes about little green men. We can actually talk about it like adults now, like super relieved for that, you know? But then also... Like the seemingly like simultaneous rebranding across the board again with military, mainstream media, uh, media and government officials calling it UAP, and um, and then also like you know the space force. Like I think they've had a space force for some time. Yeah, but you know it just seems like the whole thing just all at once was just like really like it just seemed, it didn't seem feel very subtle. Is that off the mark, do you think? No, it's to the Space Force. I mean, you're on the same wavelength, I think, for those that are paying attention to the military. I mean, Space Command has been around for many, many years through the U.S. Air Force. And obviously, they turned that into Space Force. Uh, so Space Command was essentially the same thing. So that, in, in my opinion, was nothing ever new. Uh, it was just simply a, a rebranding, so to speak. So I've always separated that part in my mind. I think that that may have hmm. been a little bit more of a coincidence. I think Trump wanted a legacy uh, for expanding the military in a way and ultimately just rebranded a section that was o- o- already there. And I think that they're yeah. you know, essentially still trying to find themselves as well. But I felt that that was always connected. Uh, in regards to UAP, yeah, there has been a 180. And I'm trying to figure out exactly what the reason is there for, for that, just simply because is it that they were forced to address it? Because if they kick the can down the road on this one again, I think the public is too loud with social media and their drive to get to the truth. So I think that they had no choice but to do a 180, say we're taking it seriously, we can't answer it. And then in the end, maybe get some more money and, and formalize the whole effort. 
I don't think they had any other choice, to be honest with you. So it, it's not a surprise to me, but in the same breath, I'll say it's really surprising how it all played out. Yeah. So you think it's just the advent of social media, YouTube, all that. And it just, it's like, they can't ignore it anymore. It just got too big. Yeah. I mean, I think when it comes to the people, uh, not to sound cheesy here, but, but the, the people have a lot of power. And I think social media mm. in a way has taught them that, that their voice will echo if they do it correctly. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I don't uh, agree with, you know, some of the uh, people out there and, and, and with the yeah. rhetoric that they have and so on. But if you Same do here. it properly and demand answers in the right way, you get things done. You really do. I mean, if you do it properly, you get things done. So I think that that social media has strengthened our ability as the general public to push for answers, whether it be about UFOs or anything else. Well, but but yeah. it allows us to do that. Even in the sense of like we've talked with folks about, you know, the powers of psilocybin and various different mushrooms. It's citizen science. It's citizen research. And that voice is getting louder yeah. and louder. So, you know, these companies need to start paying attention to it. And that's yeah. why you'll see more of that, you know, arm of pharmaceuticals and, you know, funding. So we have we have you to thank, John, for <laughs> that, that they're doing the reversal because you've been at the forefront, man, with all these documents and stuff. And, and what I consider really sober and trying to stay out of, I hate to see the UFO people just turn on each other. It's yeah. like, God, we're such a small group of people. Like, don't, it's like the left does it. Don't, don't like cannibalize each other. So yeah. I really appreciate you. And that's why you're one of like literally three people I wanted to have on this podcast. So thank but, you for that. Of course. Uh, no, I, I appreciate it. And, and, and I appreciate the kind words, but you know, there's, there's quite a few names that have helped get this topic forward you know, and, 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 and moving that goalpost. And, you know, not everybody agrees. I always love conversations where the other side doesn't agree with me. And it's great when some people just don't have to throw sand in the sandbox, but in the same respect, you see others that, yeah, they eat each other alive and uh, it's, it's too bad. I mean, at this, this topic, nobody has the answer. If, if they tell you they yeah. have the answer, they're lying to you, run away, you know, nobody, Amen, me, you know, again, no one has the, the 100% ultimate answer. So that's why I like conversations like that with someone who doesn't agree. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll fire back respectfully. So when you take a look at this nine page document that came out and how it's, uh, I kind of find it to be a little bit of a, uh, like, yes, you're right. There may not be a Santa Claus, but we're not going to 100% tell you that there isn't, but we're going to do some research and funding. And, you know, when I feel that they have the answer, but they're kind of, you know, you know maybe not the whole answer, but they're disseminating little, little, just enough goldfish food to keep people until it, they really need a distraction. And then they'll, oh, half of Florida's underwater. Okay. Well, here's the UFO. Yeah. You know? Like, is that where, like, <laughs> I think some of us that don't trust anything that the government says. You know what, I'm, I'm right, I'm right there with you. I mean, I've done this for 25 years looking into government secrets and I always read into like everything. I don't always say it publicly, but yeah, it makes you wonder what type of things are they trying to cover up with this? And then you see what was going on at the same time that this UFO report came out with the hotel or the condo collapse in Florida. And uh, the <laughs> That's right. when the, yeah, they read the, the, the Chauvin verdict or the uh, sentencing, 
uh, that's when I was rapidly refreshing the the DNI website because I figured that at that moment with all the media camera running that, I figured that at that moment they would go ahead and drop it. Most people then in the news cycle would focus on Chauvin for a little bit. And then the UFO report is an hour you know, plus old. And that doesn't sound like it would make a big deal, but to the news cycle, it would, you know, because then you get into Friday night, the news programs, the Friday night news programs are already written and done. And so then you buy yourself, you know, a couple of days. And generally when the government releases stuff like this, you'll notice that they do it on a Friday early evening. And it's for that reason, Uh then you know, the, the, the news cycle's over for the week, you know, the Saturdays yeah. and, and Sunday shows. Yeah, sure. They may, they may have it. Yeah. You but, never fire someone on a Monday. They, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, but that's the, uh, but that's the tactic, you know, and that's the strategy. And, and uh, when everybody was, you know, refreshing, I, I start my day at 4am anyway, but you know, people were, were automatically refreshing all day long, you know, and, and I won't lie. So was I just not as frantic until <laughs> later in the in the evening but you do notice those tactics and and it's not unique to this ufo report you see that with a lot of different topics because again that will bypass the media cycle and buy them a couple of days and then in those couple of days other news stories happen that they have to cover that monday you know and then it kind of gets a little bit lost in the uh the weekend shuffle okay one thing i really wanted to ask you about and i cannot remember I was trying to go back and find which podcast you set it in, but Susan Goff. Yes. She is the current Pentagon spokesperson, right? Mm-hmm. And she's, I guess was, there was somebody before her and then they put her in. And can you t- explain to everyone what her former job was before this? Sure. So, just to give a very quick groundwork, uh, she was or, or is, I should say, the Pentagon spokesperson that is solely responsible for responding to UFO or UAP inquiries. What's interesting is that she's responsible not only for the for the uh, office of the secretary of defense, which is essentially fielding all DOD related questions, but also the U.S. Air Force, also the U.S. Navy, also the Defense Intelligence Agency, all Whoa. of which all have their public affairs offices, all of them. They all have their own spokespeople. But about a year and a half or so ago, uh, she was tasked to essentially take over for all of those agencies. So she's this sole person that that does that. It's odd because it bypasses all those other spokespeople for all of the other agencies. Prior to Susan Goff, when I would talk to the Defense Intelligence Agency, I would talk to the Defense Intelligence Agency, and that particular spokesperson would give me on-the-record comments. Same with the U.S. Navy. There was a story I broke in September of 2019. It was the first time that they had ever said that those three videos were unidentified. And I had published that story. It literally went viral. It was picked up by hundreds mm-hmm. of outlets around the world. Now, there's a reason why I'm telling you those those um, tidbits of the story. And the reason is, is because I feel that they wanted to control the message. And yes. so fast forward to Susan Goff. She is that sole person now. And what it appears to be is that she has full control over the message we see. That's not a conspiracy theory or me trying to make an unfounded claim, but rather if you do any inquiry 
uh, if you're you're asking any question related to UFOs or UAPs or Luis Elizondo, the man who said he uh, headed the, the, the UFO program uh, that retired in 2017, anything related to that, ask it to any of those agencies that I mentioned or military branches, and they'll bounce it back to Susan Goff. When I see, you that re- fits with my, my suspicion, though, because you said it was like two, a year and a half, two years ago? Approximately, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's exactly at the same time this whole shift happened across the board with the media, the yeah. military. Now, all of a sudden, this person is funneled in to do it. I just, you know, but it, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. That, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, with, with, with Susan Goff, what, what I feel is pertinent, and, and I don't want to make any false accusations against her as yeah. a person, but when you dig into her past and you look at what she did, she w- wrote a master thesis on strategic influence and essentially combining public affairs with psychological operations and utilizing a public affairs office to relay a message. Now, why is this important? Because that strategic influence, in my opinion, after reading her paper, looking at her background, and looking at that whole topic, you're less concerned about giving the public the truth. Rather, you're more concerned about giving the public a message that you feel that they should hear. And that's a very dangerous uh, position to take when you're a public affairs spokesperson, because at that at that point, if that's really how you feel, how can you believe anything that comes out? And when they do then come out with a report that says, yes, a very small percentage of UFOs are real. We can't identify them. We want to put money into it, this, that, and the other thing. And the UFO crowd is going, yeehaw, this is great. And I'm right there with, with all of them yelling, yeehaw, this is great. How can we believe that? How can we believe that that, in addition to public affairs, is not a strategic message? So so going back to what Mike was saying about, you know, questioning everything and their motives, that's where I'm at, you know, because I am excited about some aspects of the report. I only got excited after I was very let down, but that that might be a different uh, answer for you. But uh, (laughs) that that being said, you know, you you have to question whether or not this is not part of that strategic influence. Get the general public to think or feel a certain way because that is the strategy. Whether or not it's the truth, that is irrelevant. They have a strategy. So is that what we're dealing with? I'm not really sure. You know, again, that that sounds like crazy conspiracy talk, but that's from Susan, <laughs> Susan Goff's paper, you know. I mean, about it's, only, it's only crazy conspiracy talk if you think, that she was chosen for that job by coincidence. Yeah. And we know <laughs> these people do not do stuff by, I mean, everything is planned. The wording of every single thing is like, you know, yeah. it's very specific. It's planned by committee, Yeah, you know? So I don't buy that, that this person with that background got that job randomly. So, yeah. you know, I, and, and I'm I'm there with you. Yeah. And, and one thing that I will say in her defense, I mean, she doesn't craft these statements by herself. Now, she may originally, but like you said, that there are kind of hoops that they have to go through to get yeah. these things approved. And some of the statements that I've gotten that are official stances of the DOD, they don't come overnight uh in 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 all cases there are some that do but in most cases sometimes it takes days weeks 
literally months for them to get quote unquote approved language for them to give out for me or you know people like me to publish. So there's a lot of lot of heads involved in this. Uh, to Susan's credit, and and I and I do actually sympathize with this. Uh, she's she's just the face you know it's her yeah. name when they put it put 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 a statement out there and so by default you know the ufo community hates her and you know the lynch mob forms but i, I mean i sympathize because uh whether or not she's intentionally lying or she's being misled on the on the inside that's also a possibility mm -hmm. that she feels that she is putting out the truth uh, yet right. the higher ups, the people that, that she's coordinating with, those are the ones saying, all right, look, she's the face out there. We need to get a strategic no. message out. Uh, granted, her paper was all about that. So I, I kind of lean towards that. She's, <laughs> you know, that she, well, she knows what she's saying. But regardless, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't rule that out. Well, you that's, should that's sympathize, it. too, because you personally made her life miserable. <laughs> I, I feel bad about that. Sorry, I'm sending, I'm sending <laughs> holiday cards and candy and stuff. <laughs> well, that's like, you know, you're hitting on a good point there where it's like, maybe it's not an untruth. It's just little tiny, perfectly, precisely worded pieces of the truth yeah. delivered at the perfectly precisely chosen time <laughs> in the week when something else might be going on. Yeah. So it's not that we're not hearing it. It's just that. You got to be really paying attention to hear it. Oh. And, you know, you got to John Nash your walls with yeah. all of the, you know, the news and put it together with string yep. to remember it all. Because, you know, <laughs> like when I when we start hearing about UFO and and different stuff, that's when I really start to worry about, like, what's actually going on. Yeah. You know, like what what forest fire just started somewhere. <laughs> yep. No, we're, and you, you always have to keep that in the back of your mind because, uh, Mike, I think you had said it, uh, said it, but every word matters, you know, and, and yeah. the punctuation literally matters as silly as that sounds. So when they craft yeah. these messages, there's a reason, but in the same respect, you have to, I call it the greatest trick of a magician. You have to, when the right hand is speaking, look at the left. And, yeah. and you have to, and that's the greatest trick of a magician is make the audience look at your right hand so you don't see what the left hand is doing. And I've always approached uh, government secrecy that way. And so in some respect, you, you analyze every single character that they put out, whether it be in a report, whether it be from the spokespeople, you know, whatever it is, you have to look at it, it with, a, with a magnifying glass. But in the same respect, you have to step back and look at the whole picture because you don't know what's going on over here either. And, and that for me is very much the challenge with all of this because you do wrestle so many things when trying to get to the truth. The strategy behind it all, the semantics behind it all, uh, you name it. I mean, it, it is somehow entrenched in all of this. And so that's what makes it very, very challenging. But I know that um, you have, even with the careful crafting of every statement that comes from Susan or and whoever was before her, um, you've actually had them conflict with each other. Apparently, they weren't 
Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, sure. wait a minute, you said this before, and now you know apparently the committee wasn't talking to each other well enough. Yeah, they changed their mind. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's <clears throat> happened more times than I've wanted to count. Wherein you know they'll they'll say one thing, and either evidence shows something else. Or uh, they will contradict themselves. Uh, in one particular case, I think it was December of 2019, if memory serves, I was uh, researching a story, writing a story, and the Pentagon has kind of flip-flopped on whether or not uh, ATIP, the Advanced uh, Aerospace Threat Identification Program, had anything to do with UFOs. Now, originally it was vague, but it seemed like it did. Then they said, no, it did not. Then in June of 2019, uh, New York Post wrote, yes, it did. Christopher Sherwood was the spokesperson. Then they flopped again in December. And that was after Susan Goff then took over. Christopher Sherwood, uh, again, was prior to Susan Goff. Now, what happened when I was pursuing the story was I asked Susan Goff for a comment on something. And she said, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here, by the way, we need to correct the record on past statements on ATIP. And I thought, mm -hmm. okay. And mm. so she proceeded to say that Christopher Sherwood's statement that they had looked into UFOs or UAPs was wrong, that they did not. And so in December, I had published that. And, you know, my personal feelings or beliefs aside, it's always tough to do that because that's the Pentagon stance. I can't change it. I, I don't sugarcoat it. It is what it is. And you publish it out there and you know, you're instantly hated because it's like, I, like I wrote it, you know, I didn't write it. The DOD was, was flip-flopping on the flip-flop already. So I called it the flip-flop flip, you know, I mean, it was like, yes, we did. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. And, and to, uh, kind of, uh, close that story. So after I had written that, it wasn't until, let me see. COVID has screwed everything up in my brain. I don't even know me what you're for. So it's end of June. I can't even believe that. But the beginning of uh, this year, just a couple months ago, really, uh, after uh, 2021 began, she issued another much longer statement about ATIP, she being Susan Goff. And she had said that that uh, when she sent it to me, and she had sent it to quite a, other, uh, quite a few other people as well. It wasn't, wasn't exclusive to me, but she had sent it to me and she says, you look, I, I'm pretty sure you already know this because she knows I was kind of keeping tabs on like everything she was saying, including what she was having for breakfast. So she knew that I was, you know, really kind of paying attention. And she said, I think you already know this. Essentially, uh, I, I would say it's about five paragraphs or so, small paragraphs. And it was everything that they had written. But one thing was different. And it was that they did utilize UAP data within ATIP. But UAPs were not the scope of the program. So so now you have another flop, you know, in their crazy tale of trying to tell you about ATIP. And, and that may that may be part of the mud uh, that they intended for the strategy. You know, does mm -hmm. it make them look bad? Of course. But the people that that talk about Whatever. how bad they look. They already thought that they they meaning the the government was bad anyway, you know, and they weren't lying or, or are lying all the time. And so it really doesn't matter to them if they look bad because there's yeah. no there's no consequence. So if they mm. throw enough mud out there and, and murky up the water, that could be potentially part of the strategy. And that's like making, you know, making the John Greenwalds of the world go nuts trying to make heads or tails of what they're saying or chasing documents or 
uncovering what really was the truth. Just keep shoveling stuff out there, you know, and, and, and muddy up the water, murk it all up. And, and that would be part of the strategy. So it's interesting to watch it play out because again, they just keep going back and forth about it. So sorry to be long winded for your uh, no, question. No, we love this. Watch. Yeah. Well, and you know what too, it's the, it's like, I think that there's some, like I kind of, sometimes I like to fall in this category in particular, I fall into your, your lay person who doesn't really trust anything anyone said. Like, yeah. you know, if, if, if this is something where, you know, a lot of your colleagues and a lot of folks that seem to be honest about this stuff is that they keep bringing up lack of imagination. They keep bringing up the fact that, you know, there's a ton of unknown and that's not what we normally hear from the government. You don't hear anybody go, look, honestly, I don't, we don't know. Like we really just don't know, but we're going to throw a ton of money at it and start a task force and we'll be back with you in, you know, small bits. So I, 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 I kind of fall into this thing of like, there's something beautiful about how unknown it is, but it seems to me the thing that keeps being re addressed is, and it's like a mathematical equation. Like if it's a threat, then it constitutes more investigation and more money. Right. So it doesn't necessarily have to, you know, if it's, if it, it, it threat is such a huge part of this. Yeah. And I was wondering if you can like explain a little bit of more course. about that for the layperson. Yeah. The 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 T word threat for whatever reason <laughs> is 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 uh is I not supposed to say that? Is that a no-no well, no, no in this no, community? No, no, and that's where I'm going with this. Is that, is that, is that I gotta get people, this taken offline? No, yeah, no, no, a, uh, everything shuts down. Um <laughs> yes, he just said that. Uh come in. So <laughs> I'll go unlock the door. That's right. No, 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 no. Where my, where my kind of uh, sarcasm comes from is a lot of people don't want to call it a threat. And I don't know why that is, you know, they feel that if there is some kind of otherworldly connection to all of this, if it was a threat, they'd attack by now or, you know, all that stuff. The reality in my brain is we shouldn't be afraid to call a spade a spade. The potential of a threat is absolutely there. But but to build off of that, that's what resonates in the halls of Congress. You know, I mean, right. you, you can't just say, look, this could be the biggest discovery of mankind. It could be extraterrestrial. They don't care about that, sadly. I wish they did, uh, but they don't. If you go in there and say, we have no idea what the heck this is, but it's a potential threat. They go, huh? we need to put money towards that. Let's do it. And so yeah. that, and that's what's happening, you know, and, and they focus on that threat narrative. So again, I don't think it's a bad thing to call a spade a spade, but but in addition to that, it is a potential threat. It, just because they didn't fire bullets or missiles at, at a Navy ship or an F-18 doesn't mean it's still not problematic. It's still not a threat. It's still not a potential danger. So so it it is an issue. And that's where I think the conundrum was with the U.S. military was that for so many years, they've denied interest. And I think it was because they thought if we show interest, people are going to think it's all alien, which sadly, that's where a certain percentage of the public goes to and even the mainstream media. But I think that they were in that conundrum where they had to address it. And the mm. only way they could address it was say, we don't know. And that to me was is such a gamble because that in itself, in my opinion, is the national security risk that has plagued this topic for many, many years, but they didn't want to admit that. And the national security risk is telling the public, number one, we don't know. But number two, this technology, we can't defend against it. 
we we have we we can chase it, but we can't catch right. it. Uh, we see it, but we have no idea what it is. When you tell the public that there is a national security threat entwined in that, because now you're telling the general public there's stuff over your heads. We have no idea what it is. And and that's a that's a risk. So how that will play out in the coming weeks and months and, and potentially even years, I'm not sure. But that was that was a conundrum. And for them to play that card and say, we don't know, uh, was a gamble. And, and I'm I'm eager to see how it how it all plays out. It get the threat gets even worse. I mean, you do people like uh, Captain Robert Salas, you know, talk, telling when they turned off all the nukes and they yeah. didn't do anything about it. That's Man. like that's, that's a pretty major uh, emergency situation, you know. Yeah, it just frustrates me because I I hear this talk about money. It's like I know they can't say it, but it's like not like you haven't been spending trillion dollars, trillions of dollars off the books. Yeah. On this, on studying this stuff. Like there's no way any Bible ever convinced me of that, you know, yeah. but, Be- um, before October of 2017, when Luis Elizondo came out and said that they were investigating UFOs, what you just said was the focus of my research from 1996 on. And I tackled every government agency and military branch there was. And I felt comfortable and still feel comfortable that prior to that 2017 timestamp, where they, you know, essentially admitted uh, that they were looking into this, I was able to prove with evidence that they absolutely still were investigating it years prior to that. But on top of it, for me, and I've tackled every government secret you could likely imagine, it was the most easily proven cover-up that I would tackle, meaning that there was more evidence to that than there was to pretty much anything else that I tackled. It was too easy to prove this massive cover-up. Cover-up of what? I mean, you know, your guess may be as good as mine and, and, and anybody listening, again, would be as good as mine, simply because we just don't know. But it was easily proven that they were covering it up. So now they're at least talking about it. But I, but I feel that that what you had said that uh, that they were spending, you know, a, a ton of money, they absolutely were. And evidence shows that they were collecting the intelligence from around the globe, that there were incidents that they could not explain, that there was technology exceeding the known human technology at the time. I'm not saying that that just defaults to alien, but what I mean is what I would what I've done, and I just posted one on Twitter last week. Uh, and, and all social media platforms, but it was a document that showed that they were looking at objects, and this was in the late 1940s, that were far surpassing the airspeed records of anything that we had for more than 50 years. So mm. if the document wasn't lying and all a concocted you know, uh, delusion, which I don't think that it was, this FBI record um, uh, I don't believe was was all falsified, then you're looking at technology that just we did not see as as humans for at least 50 years. Was it top secret classified technology? Absolutely. But as history has also shown, the U.S. government or military will sometimes come out and say, OK, you know, those UFO sightings in the 1950s in the CIA's case, they said that was us. And they tried to blame the U2. The problem really? was no one. Yeah, no. The problem was no one did their research. 
So I d- dug in, not to go off on a tangent, but no, that's, I want to hear this. Tangent away, my man. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll dig into that one really quick. So the CIA said exactly that. They tweeted out a statement. Uh, this goes back probably about five years. And they said, you know, all those UFO sightings in the 1950s, that was us. And they gave some uh, information and documents about the U-2 and the test flights and, and this and that. So I dug in on a couple different levels and through the 1950s, yes, there was a huge influx of sightings, more so in the beginning of the decade uh, versus the latter, uh, mostly concentrated on 1952. The problem with the U-2 was they didn't start flying it until the mid 1950s. So they seemingly didn't want you to think about the beginning part of that decade. So I dug into it that way. With the, with the documented history of the U-2 and nothing made sense. I also dug into it via FOIA and I went to the CIA and requested everything internally that went into crafting that tweet. Because just like spokespeople, when they tweet stuff out, you know, they don't just think of something and go, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's just put it out there. No, same deal. They got to go through approvals. You know, the stamp of the CIA, the image of the CIA, the branding yeah. of the CIA is on there. So they have to do the approvals. So I went after the documents. And what came back was like one email thread and it was one, the names were redacted. So you don't know who it is, but essentially it was a CIA employee and it was, uh, I think it was world UFO day. If I remember correctly, that they were trying to, Mm. you know, latch on to, he sends it to a higher up and he goes, Hey, how about this? And then essentially the higher up writes back and goes, yep, looks good. And that was, that was it. They literally did just kind of craft the thing out of nowhere, sent it to somebody else. They go, yeah, cool. Looks good. That was it. There it goes. So my whole point is, is that they wanted to give a message, but the actual evidence, the documentation and the history didn't prove it at all. So that's the length that they go to with UFOs. And it's ludicrous because on the surface, I would venture to guess 98% plus read that and went, oh, wow, look at that. Yeah, probably all the U-2 flights. Very small percentage yeah. actually would fact check it. And, right. and that's what I think the, the government and Big Brother and, and those that are uh, essentially keeping the cover-up, whatever that cover-up cover up is, banks on the fact that uh, nobody will fact check them. You know, man, I, I, don't, I know it would take a really long time for you to go back into how you got started and all this. And- we want to be aware of your time. Um, but I just, I'm always so fascinated, especially when I see pictures of you when you're younger. Um, at this 15 <laughs> year old kid, that's just for a Like, get, he, uh, uh, a lot of people know that Mr. Greenwald is on a list. Probably, I, I think you said it was CIA, FBI, I'm sure Pentagon now too, and even the IRS of like the annoying. Guy yeah. list, <laughs> call it vex, vexum. They call it the vexum, vexum list in the FBI. They call it the annoying list. guy list. But like, what? I'm like, what? When is your birthday? What sign are you? Like, that, that, at 15 years old, you just sort of like just went for it. You have a unique personality makeup, man. I appreciate that. Well, um, the astrology sign. I'm an Aries, so I oh, I will butt uh, Explains it. Yeah, exactly. So I just uh, I just run in and 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 horns first, and we'll see where we end up. Uh, so yeah, yeah I'm soft. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's it. And uh, 
And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Good night. Thanks for. Yeah. So, like you said, started when I was 15. I was just curious. I really was. I, I didn't think it would be a lifelong effort, journey, dream, nothing. I didn't even plan a website when I started it. I had utilized the Freedom of Information Act, uh, had no idea what the heck that thing even was. I had just read this four page government document on the internet. This was like in 1996. And it was uh, infamously known as the 1976 Iran incident. And, and it's uh, yeah. uh, an amazing case that really yeah. essentially reads, I jokingly say it reads like an X-Files episode where, you know, a, a UFO turns into not one, not two, not three, but there was actually four UFOs that were connected to this sighting, three of which came from the original craft. Uh, essentially sci-fi would call it a mothership. You know, you read this thing and you go, come on, there's no way that that's real. And it shut down two separate F4 Phantom jets. Nah, come on. One of which actually almost either landed or hovered right about uh, above the earth. Nah, there's no way. And yet it was chronicled in this four page document. So I got hooked and they talked about this website, <laughs> talked about, you know, the freedom of information act. I was like, what the heck's that? But they said, copy and paste this letter, put your name and address on it, send it off. And this agency called the Defense Intelligence Agency would send you the document. I had no idea what the heck the FOIA was or what the DIA was at the time. Wow. And, and I go, oh, it's free. Cool. So I, you know, <laughs> here's my address. Oh, yeah, exactly. Here, big brother. Look, put that you. on a list somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> uh, Van started showing up almost immediately. <laughs> So uh, sure enough, the document was 100% real. They sent me the, the record and I was hooked. So I ran back to the internet and, and at the time, like Google, forget when Google was founded, but Googling wasn't even a word yet. I mean, it was uh, at the yeah. time I was using Alta Vista. And I remember that because yeah. I still have the printout of like the first page or two of how many hits that Alta Vista would come up with. And it was still like eight or 900,000 websites at the time. Now it's, you know, 500 trillion websites if you Google UFO. But I was seeking a website that had UFO documents on it. And I, and, and a tr I truly thought that that was going to be my way to the truth, meaning, hey, if anybody's <laughs> going to tell me the truth, the government's going to tell me the truth, right? And I was 15. Mm. I was stupid. I learned, I learned where I was uh, wrong on that. <laughs> But that, but that was my mindset, and there was no website that had any of that. So I literally yeah. created it and then would file more FOIA requests because there was no documents that I could find other than, you know, various little things here and there. But it was so hard to sift through what is real, what is not, what is bunk, what is fabricated, what, you know, what, what, what uh, everything was. And so that's why I started utilizing the FOIA, I started firing off. 20, 30, 40 requests at a time. And at that time, they wouldn't accept them via email. Uh, so I would send out, you know, stacks of envelopes with stamps, you know, licking stamps and, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, putting these things out there and started getting the documents back. And uh, so now wow. I'm, I'm just shy of 3 million pages online. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's been a, a it's been a journey, and uh, and approaching my twenty fifth birthday of the website. Uh, me, I'm much older now, but twenty uh, fifth birthday of the website. So wow, it's been a it's been a, a quarter crazy century ride. of work. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. Now you put in it way, that way. I have a drink. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, in a way, do you feel like they're they're thrilled? The government's thrilled for the John Greenwalds of the world that. 
do put the stuff out there and they don't have to confirm or deny. They're kind of just like, in a way, in a way, do you feel like they might kind of be like, well, these guys are doing our job for us. And one day we could just go, some of that might have validity. Some don't, we're going to get back to you on it. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back after this. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smart Wool. For more than 25 years, Smart Wool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. What's up, everyone? I'm Mike. And I'm O'Teal. And these are our Sunset Lake CBD gummies that are almost gone. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned business that ships CBD products directly from their farm to your door. For years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. In 2018, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And with a product for everyone, they offer pre-rolls, hemp cigars, and hemp flowers, as well as tinctures, gummies, and CBD-crafted coffee to help with stress, aches, and pains. Sunset Lake CBD saves you money by shipping high-quality CBD products directly from their farm to your door. Want to know what I've been using a lot of, O'Teal? This salve with the arnica Uh, on my my old bones. You get back from a show and you got tore ankle, rub a little bit of this on there. You're ready to dance the next day. And you know, Sunset Lake, uh, comes a time listeners can visit sunsetlakecbd.com and use promo code time for 20% off of their purchase. That's sunsetlakecbd.com promo code time and tell them we sent you. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I think it likely varies from from agency to agency. One of my favorite stories is this was probably going back a a good 15 years. And I got this email from someone who said that they were from the Pentagon. And they said that they were so and so and they, they named their name and they were part of the FOIA process. So I had recognized the name from that. And I said, okay, look, you know, your name is out there being connected to writing me letters. So how do I know it's you? And because it was a private email address. And they said, well, you have this request and this request open. And there were only two people that knew, well, one entity, which was the Pentagon and myself that knew about those letters. And I thought, all right, this person's legit. So we started chatting and uh, he had said, um, you know, I, I, I had resigned uh, from working within the Pentagon and I'm not going to say the agency, but working within the, the, the Pentagon. And I said, okay. And he said uh, it was because of the bureaucracy. And he says, partially because of how you and people like you were treated. And he mm-hmm. said in the beginning, they would get letters from me uh, on, you know, various topics, primarily UFOs at the time. And at first they got a kick out of it because I was this 15 year old kid and my yeah. dad had worked for a government contractor. Uh, he worked for NASA Rocketdyne. Uh, he worked on the space shuttle and he had wow. the same name. Wow. 
So he, he's always told me he never had a clearance, although he worked on other things beyond the, the space shuttle, which I found out after he resigned. That's a whole show in itself. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that being Please said, come he was, back for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to bring dad on. I'm sure he'd love to do it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. uh, but he um, was very worried that, you know, here I was pounding the government for government secrets and he's out there working for a government contractor on the space shuttle and what I what I learned later was uh, he's the, like my kid couldn't just be into baseball. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> right? I, why why couldn't you collect baseball cards or something? Uh, so so he was worried about that. So I used to put a photocopy of my student ID in every request that I did, every one of them. So because you got the same name, right? Yeah. So they would differentiate. So back to what this this person was saying, he said, uh, you know, w- they would see that got a kick out of it. You're a 15 year old kid, but you didn't take the answers that they gave you. And he says, you, you, you kept up with it, you know, and you kept either appealing or uh, essentially just asking questions through FOIA um, is a bad way to put it, but essentially filing more FOIA requests to, to keep getting answers. And he said that they just got upset and that, that it was like, <laughs> my letters would come in and they got, Oh, Greenwald again, you know, pretty, pretty much want to throw it in the shredder. But he said uh, the the advice that he gave me was keep at it, kid. That was what he said. Wow. Uh, and it was just simply because I didn't take what I later termed the the company line. Um, I didn't take that, and he he said that 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 was resonating, and and I knew at that moment right. that if there truly was a cover up, which now I'm I'm confident in saying. But I really tried to, to stay away from that. I would just put the evidence out there. But I felt if there truly was one, they wanted me to quit. You know, they would want me to go away. And this person really kind of motivated me to just essentially keep keep at it, you know, and, and that's what I did. So back to your question, I mean, I think it varies from agency to agency. There are some that are very helpful to actually send out the black vault to FOIA requesters saying, hey, look, this guy's got, you know, thousands of pages you might be interested in. And I've got a couple instances where they do that. On the other end, they absolutely hate me. They've got me on that. Yeah. FBI calls it a vexum list, um, as you mentioned. So they don't want you know people like me uh, continually hounding them because according to them, the, the vexum list is essentially those that are um, most problematic. So I'm not the only one on there, but I'm, I'm, I'm one of the very few individuals that's named versus the, the news outlets. And the idea is, mm. is that what what you what you uh, cause as a workload to the FBI and and essentially mm. getting that information to the public, that that could potentially be problematic because let's say they screw up giving something, or when they know that something's going to be newsworthy, uh, that particular list has the potential to make it newsworthy. The IRS mm. has a very similar list, and it was the same deal. And your FOIA request, I found out the hard way the FOIA requests submitted by myself and a select few others were essentially given special, special treatment in the sense that there was, in, in my opinion, by looking at the documents, uh, additional oversight because same deal. If they screwed up or they did something that, that they knew were newsworthy, yeah. that particular list of people could create the problems. So wow. it, it was a little disconcerting, you know, when you find yourself on these lists, you know, and, 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 the, the, there's always a joke like, oh, you think you're on a list of some kind? And to be able to really fire back and go, why, yes, yes, I am. Because, you know, those lists have been released through FOIA. Uh, it's disconcerting, but that's how I know that I'm, I'm getting somewhere. 
The one that would get me is like, you know, if I was you, I'd expect to be on the FBI one, the CIA one. Like, yeah. I'm not I'm not on the IRS one, am I? IRS, oh, yeah, yeah. I am. Oh, that's the one. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden you're getting denied credit cards. And- yeah. <laughs> I've been well, waiting I, wonder- for, I, I knock on wood. I've been waiting for the audit once I found out I was on that list. Like I don't think I, I think I took a deep breath from filing FOIAs to the IRS for like a couple of weeks. I'm like, here it comes, you know, I'm gonna be completely audited, but thankfully well, knock on wood, know, that hasn't happened yet. And there's something that I've kind of been dying to ask you and, sure. and, and it's about, you know, like, you know, you start at 15 years old, right? And, and obviously the, the increase in technology is, I mean, look at this, we're sitting here, three people talking on a computer, right? So has that also been, um, has technology been a, um, it's obviously been a source for false, falsified, um, you know, either footage or images or whatever, like when you think about what's out there right now, what percentage of it would you say is kind of, you know, trustworthy as it really, as it relates to footage, as it relates to actual, you know what I mean by that? Like, I'm not, you don't have to give me an exact number, but it's, you know, people can falsify quite a (laughs) bit of stuff, you know, that's the, yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. One of which I would probably not venture to guess on a percentage, but I would say a very comfortably, a very high percentage of the visuals that we see out there are, are bunk fabricated CGI misunderstood, uh, pick the category. But I think that, that they're very much explainable. And as time goes on, when you realize that that kind of stuff gets hits, and some, I'll call them news agencies with air quotes, don't do the due diligence. They just see that video out there and footage and go, that that's that's gonna that's gonna get us a ton of clicks. And they'll write a small yeah. blurb about it, and put it out there. That's hurtful, you know. I mean, you see that from from some outlets, um, a little bit too much, you know. That there there's no due diligence, and and the media aspect of this can very much be a benefit but also very much be be harmful the benefit is obviously yeah. getting the word out the harm is taking footage like that and then just putting it out there in the ether and who cares if it's fake or not they get the clicks yeah. to that industry that's that's what they go for with that comes their name and meaning the person that created the video or found the video or put it on their YouTube channel, their name is in lights. So the Mm. clicks that go over to the news channel translates into clicks to the YouTube channel. One of the prime, prime, prime examples that I feel, I don't know if it started the whole thing, but I'd I'd put up an argument that it might have was a UFO video that was allegedly these UFOs in Haiti. And it was... Mm brilliantly done. And I've produced a lot of television for history and discovery, National Geographic. We we hired CGI artists and to create UFOs is a is a challenge. And this person, you know, literally created these UFOs coming in, somebody on the beach, they were able to track it perfectly and you you see the camera movement go. I mean, it it looked real and it got literally tens of millions of hits at the time. I don't even know what it is now. I'm sure the video is well over 100 million, you know, after all these years, even though it's a known fake. But essentially, the publicity that that person got, um, I think the root of it was somebody who wanted to break into the entertainment industry and they created Mm. it to essentially be a business card, a calling card that they had done that. There was another promotion that ended up in a, I think it was sci-fi channel promotional video that was also same deal. It was a fabricated 
uh, video. And I saw it, no joke, saw it on someone's resume that they had submitted to me to get a job when I was producing the show in, in um, North Hollywood. And I thought, wait a minute, I thought that was actually <laughs> a video. And sure enough, they were like one of the actresses in it. And, uh, and they put it on their resume. And nice. to them, it didn't matter. That was just a credit, you know, but, but to, to the UFO community, it was like a big deal. So my whole point is, is it's so hard nowadays to figure out what's real, yeah. what's not. And, and even, uh, you know, the day that we're recording this had to post four different photos out there that are likely hoaxes, but look really cool of a black triangle that's like splashing into the ocean. Uh, the backstory is there is no backstory other than these four photographs were posted to Reddit by some anonymous person. Then they delete the post, delete their account. So they're gone. And now like the, the fire has started. People are talking about these photos. Is this the infamous black triangle that people have rumored about for the last year? And, and that's how, that's how rumors start. And it's really frustrating. You know, I, I mean, yeah. I, I can't help but laugh just simply because there's no backstory. There's no source. There's no nothing, just this anonymous Reddit account posted out there, but that's all it takes. And, and I'll, I'll make a guess. It'll probably end up in, let's say like a British tabloid of some kind uh, in the yeah. next 24, 48 hours as just kind of like this open-ended, is this real, yeah. you know? Uh, and sadly it just doesn't look like it is. Turns out it's a submission for a Doritos commercial. But you know, then also on the other side of that coin, the Tic Tac videos were out on the internet before like when did right. they come out, John? Like 2004? 2007 uh, was Seven. when the, yeah, the incident was 2004. The FLIR, what's known as the FLIR video <laughs> leaked in 2007. But no one, I don't want to say no one cared. It just never got any uh, yeah. type of publicity or anything like that. It wasn't until 2017 when they, when they came out with the New York Times and then and people they confirmed started it. Right. Yeah. So I do I always kind of, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, go ahead. No, I guess just for the videos, I, I, I get just real quick. I kind of feel like the ones that are filmed by multiple people who aren't connected and from multiple phones at multiple times, like those always kind of tend for me to see, seem a little more realistic from like the general public. Obviously the Navy ones are you know, real deal. But the, the ones where if someone's like standing there on the beach and sees something, if there's five or six different angles and, you know, you could, I, I tend to hope that those maybe have a little bit of validity just for my own imagination. Yeah. It's a shame. They're so incredibly rare. You know, I know. I know. That's, that's what's, what's challenging. I'm sorry to interrupt Othiel. Go ahead. No, no. I was just saying, I, I do want to get to, you, you mentioned earlier what you are excited about in the UAP report that just came out. Mm -hmm. And I do want to get to that, but before I still want to like, if we could do this quickly, uh, mm -hmm. I still want to unpack my negative bias as, as I've noticed what Susan Goff's job was before mm -hmm. this. I also want to unpack a little bit of Louise Elizondo. I, I really appreciate that as skeptical as you were of him, that you had him on your show and it was mm -hmm. really cool that you did that. And I felt like you didn't really let him off the hook mm -hmm. that much too. Um, so thank you for that. But um, 
you know, I just have a hard time because he was a counterintelligence agent before. Like, and yeah. we know that narrative is everything. Like, and I just, you know, so how do you feel about that? Especially now after having met him and interacted with him. I, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't like him. He is incredibly likable. We have spoken on the phone uh, away from doing my show. I mean, I, I would collectively say for, for hours, you know, I mean, he's, he's just a very likable guy and, and, and dare I say we're friends, you know, uh, meaning it was such a rocky start for people who have followed yeah. me. Uh, and the Black Vault's stance on all of that, I was highly critical uh, to the point where I don't regret asking any of the questions that I did. I, I would, If I did it all over again, I'd ask the same ones. I'd push the same issues, even though some of them may have answers now, definitely not all. I wouldn't do anything over. What I did apologize to him on the air for was if something felt personal, because then I felt myself yeah. sounding like it was personal. And it, and, and it wasn't. From day one, it never was. But for me, you see so many charlatans come out and make these claims about the government this, and I worked on that, and this and that. You have to ask those questions. You just do. And uh, when it comes to my show, yeah, I, I tried to get him on for a couple of years prior and, and finally found a direct contact with him and, and just said, okay, look, you know, this is who I am. Like, I, I'd love to just chat with you because, you know, th this is seemingly now becoming personal, mostly fueled by those, you know, social network feuds. And yeah. this was very territorial. You either were like yeah. the biggest fan of Luis Elizondo or not. And if you were to question anything that he said, they would come after you and viciously. And, yeah. and so that would escalate into the aura of this personal battle when it never was. And that's very influential, you know, to two people that aren't talking. It's very influential yeah. to, to think, boy, that John Greenwald's a true, you know what, you know, he's making it personal when it's not. So I had found a way to contact him directly. And I said, look, this is who I am. Uh, had apologized privately later uh, publicly when I had him on my show, just saying, look, this isn't personal. I apologize that it has gotten to this point but he himself said ask questions even i'm paraphrasing but even with what i tell you you know like question everything and i've had that quote on the top of the page yeah. that i that i deal with topics that involve him from him with credit to him because he's right we should be yeah. able to have these questions asked and you should be able to ask these questions without fear that you know, either he's going to get upset or the entire UFO community is going to get upset. So to, to, to go back to your question after that groundwork, sorry to be long winded. No, it's great. Really do like the guy, but we have to continue to ask for evidence from all sides. As much as I've hounded on the government and Susan Goff, I hound on Luis Elizondo as well. And somebody told me something on social media one time. I wish I remembered their name and I'd credit them. Uh, but essentially, they said truth will survive all forms of scrutiny. So because they were seeing that I was just getting lambasted by some accounts on, yeah. on social media. And they were like, what does it matter if he asks questions or tries to pursue evidence? If what we are being told is the truth, there's nothing that I will do or say or ask that will deter that or discredit that. So if, the, if what we're dealing with is the truth, 
it will survive all forms of scrutiny. That was so motivating to me because that was what I was doing. I just wasn't eloquent enough to actually say it in those words. And he summed it up in a comment perfectly. And I, and I've always been motivated by that because yeah, you know what? It will survive all forms of scrutiny. So there are many unanswered questions, some of which I did ask Luis Elizondo on my show, some of which I do believe were not adequately answered. And I don't speak for him, but I would say that he would likely agree with this next part that we don't have the full story from the Pentagon, nor do we have the full story from Luis Elizondo. I think that he would agree with me saying that whether it be an NDA, whether it be a security clearance, whether it be whatever it is, we just don't have the full story. And, and that to me, although I've backed off of beating the, the dead horse on some of these questions, I think they're still important. We need to answer them. We need to, to, to figure out why the, the government is so adamant about talking about his position, which they still maintain. They said he had no assigned responsibilities on the program. Love and, that. The, no assigned responsibilities. But then he did, was in the program. It's like, oh, God, yeah. come on. And, and that's, I just don't, I don't understand the tactic. You know, I mean, generally with, yeah. with, with cover-ups, you can see or figure out some kind of logical motive. For yeah. this, I can't figure out the motive. That doesn't mean that they're telling the truth or lying. But for me, I, I'll say it this way. As an investigator, you got to deal with all possibilities until you can't anymore. And for mm-hmm. me, I can't figure out what motive they would have to say ATIP did not investigate UFOs. Could Christopher Sherwood have made a mistake, that that spokesperson who said, yes, they did? Could he have gone off of public record like New York Times and this and that mm-hmm. to just get, uh, I don't want to say pressured into it, but just like, okay, there's no reason to doubt that. And so he confirms that it was, and in reality, that was a human error, that it actually wasn't. Is that a possibility? Of course, anything's a possibility. We don't know. Uh, but but I want to yeah. know, like the biggest unanswered question for me is the government openly talks about UAPs. They have a task force investigating them. They're looking into them. They're potentially, uh, not even potentially, they're, they're more formalizing the process. They're dealing with UAPs. Why is it that they still deny ATIP's involvement in UAPs? Yeah. You know, and and that's what I <laughs> figure out. Like that, there's there's no rhyme or reason. What is hmm. what is the the reason they won't do it? Now, yes, her most recent uh, statement essentially said, well, they <clears throat> did deal with UAP reports, but and this gets into a whole another show, and I don't want to bore you to death with it, but uh, essentially it gets into what the private sector did with the entity that got the original contract through Mm. Robert Bigelow and Bigelow Aerospace and his uh, corporation called Bass, what they did versus what the defense intelligence agency actually wanted them to do. So did Susan Goff get cornered into saying that because she had to, or is she still hiding the truth? I don't know because the documentation evidence, nothing is, is out yet. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, there's still a lot of unanswered questions about Luis Elizondo's story, but also the bigger story, you know, and and that, again, is not a shot against him or the Pentagon uniquely. It's just we don't have all the facts. We don't have all the story. And if anybody tells you that one side is being 100 percent open, they're lying to you because they're not, you know, and and again, I I do believe that uh, that Luis Elizondo would at least agree with that, that we just don't have all the pieces yet. I fall in the mm. middle because, you know, um, 
if you're against Louise, you get attacked. And if you're for Louise, then you get attacked from the yeah. other side. And it's, it's just crazy. I kind of, I feel like I fall in the middle where I'm really glad that they're admitting what they're admitting. Yeah. And I think that what they're admitting is true. What I don't trust is a, the narrative or like you say, the motive, like why, like why I usually feel like power concedes nothing without a demand. Yeah. So is there something I can't see forcing them to do this or, but whatever, I'm glad that, that, you know, these videos that we don't know whether they're real or not. And they go, that one's real. I'm like, okay, well that's a positive thing. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I get it for the people that are a huge Rah rah supporters of Luis Elizondo. I'll give them that. And I'm on board with them there. But I still am like, you know, I just have a hard time with a guy that used to be a counterintelligence. It's like, yeah. it's his job. The shark's job is to, you know, bite. To bite. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, what, and, are, and what are you? Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. You bring up an excellent point that I, I didn't address before, but really quickly, no, that that is a concern. And and when you look at a UFO research program, the historical one that we can show, which is uh, Project Blue Book and Project yes. Sign and Project Grudge, at the time, the U.S. Air Force was involved, right? So that was their UA, UFO UAP effort. And yes, they called them UAPs back in the 1940s. Mm -hmm. uh, for those uh, keeping tabs on it, that, that verbiage is nothing new. Um, but what they did, the military brass did, was they realized we are not qualified to do this by ourselves. We're, you know, we're we're military men and and we can't do it, you know. And, and I'm only saying men because that was what was involved, you know, at that effort. So I'm I'm not ruling out women, but Hector Quintanilla, who was the director uh towards the the latter part of Project Blue Book, so on and so forth. And so when you look at that, what they did was they brought in scientific advisors to essentially then head up the effort, spearheaded by the U.S. Air Force, but they brought in those science minds to tackle the UFO or UAP issue. With Luis Elizondo, it's very interesting that they chose a counterintelligence officer yeah. to do it. You know, And did he have science advisors? I, I hope so. Uh, but again, th that's all unwritten parts of this. Because if, if they did have a team of scientists, where were they from? And do they have a security clearance where they cleared to see some of this stuff? Like there's that whole other aspect of it that if, if he was uh, utilizing that type of, of intelligence, so to speak, from people that are outside of, of his circle and counter intel, but rather in the scientific circles, private sector or not, where are all of those people? Because yeah. against Luis Elizondo personally, but I just don't see that he would be able to do all the analysis himself. So who is he talking? Yeah. You know, and and where was that team? Where is that? Was that all internal? Then if so, yeah. where where is everything then? I mean, because you, you, in programs Ooh. like that, you do create reports, you do create a paper trail, you do create uh, essentially budgets to to do what you need to do. And when you start digging into all of those different aspects of the story, that's where a lot of questions arise. And, and one part of what Luis Elizondo has said was that they were pulling money from, from something else to bring it in and essentially bootstrap mm -hmm. this, this program. 
Well, they have oversight and audits for a reason within DOD. You can't mm-hmm. just kind of like go, all right, give me three million bucks and we'll call it a day. Uh, you, you know, you just don't you don't do that uh, without people asking questions. So that that aspect, you know, uh, essentially doesn't make sense. But I don't want to just pick on Luis Elizondo with asking yeah. those questions, dealing with the Pentagon. Uh, I had recently discovered it was a story that that uh, I'm I'm glad to have broken because this is a a huge part of why I do what I do uh, in that I finally, after three years of, of fighting through at least eight FOIA cases that I know of and numerous appeals, got the Pentagon to admit they destroyed all of Luis Elizondo's oh, emails, yeah. That's right. attachments, so, calendars, uh, and chat transcripts. That was all. Come on. Yeah. So, so that's now leaning towards the paper trail. So that paper trail that I referenced, so let's say they're not doing these official reports that are being blasted out to all the senior leadership, but rather it's more internal Then a lot of that stuff is going to reside in those emails and files and so on. What were they sharing back and forth? And so I, I traced in this article, a paper trail that went back three years and they never admitted to me that the evidence was gone. So generally, when documents are destroyed, mm. they will tell you that FBI is a prime example. Let's say I go after, you know, records on, uh, I'll just say my grandfather, and they destroyed them in 1985. If I say, you know, give me everything on this particular person, they write back and they say, we think that we may have had responsive records. We don't know because they were destroyed on July 1st, 1985. And, and they keep record of document destruction like that, as silly as it sounds. Yeah. They document the yeah. document destruction. Uh, yeah. but they do. Thanks. So when does that document get destroyed? Yeah, exactly. And then what happens? Uh, so, they, they, you know, they, they have that kind of stuff that, that, that essentially chronicles when they destroy things. With Luis Elizondo, they couldn't tell me when. They couldn't tell me who. And they couldn't tell me how. And the how was key. The how, in essence, is... What, what I call the authority or, or what's officially called the authority to destroy a record. And that all ties to what are called records retention schedules or also referred to as records disposition schedules. Essentially, every government and military document has a clock on how long that they maintain that record. Some people wrongly think it's illegal to destroy a government document. Everything is saved. That's not true. There are things that are essentially non uh, essentially not retained uh, for, for a long period of time. There's other things that are retained indefinitely. What I was able to determine after months of, of digging into this was that Luis Elizondo's files, his emails, calendars, chat transcripts, and everything should have maintain, been maintained for at least seven years. That would put it till 2024. Luis mm. Elizondo chatted extensively about this And he put up a very valid argument for it to be saved indefinitely. I couldn't 100% prove that. So I didn't take that stance. Regardless, I felt very comfortable with what I had found with seven years. And so I threw that back to the Pentagon and said, look, I'm publishing this thing. It's been more than two months. You guys still have. And we went back. I was well into the double digits of follow-ups. And I said, I'm not just going to run with this story. You guys told me they're destroyed. I have that, that answer. But I need to know why. And I can't figure out why. And more than two months went by. And, and I finally just, 
the person I was dealing with, let me first say, was incredibly nice. I, I didn't get the answer that I wanted, uh, but, yeah. but no complaints there. They were right there to answer my follow-ups. He was trying internally to, to get more information for me. Sadly, it, it seemed like, and these are my words, not his, but essentially it sounded like he was getting stonewalled as well. So yeah. I, I wasn't out to get him per se or anything, but I just said, look, I'm publishing this. Um, I'm going to use the words you gave me. And I yeah. said, all I need is a yes or no here. All I need is that you as a, as the, the office of the secretary of defense will not renege on what you've told me in writing. Meaning if I run and publish this and the next day it goes, well, Greenwald's crazy. We never said we destroyed everything. <laughs> you know, I, I was afraid that I was getting uh, essentially set up, so to speak, not that it was a setup, but the, the, I was putting myself in a position and I got the yeah. confirmation. Yes, we, we did destroy the records and no, uh, they are not recoverable. And I said, okay, that's all I need. And I published the story. And um, wow. so it was a, it was a huge deal because as I mentioned in the beginning of it, it goes to the heart and soul of why I do what I do. And yeah. regardless of this being about Luis Elizondo and UFOs and, and all that, Take that aside. Document destruction for me is a huge deal. Document destruction with no proper authority. Yeah, yeah. that gets my blood boiling because I am an advocate for two things running the Black Vault, trans uh, transparency and preservation. And in this particular mm -hmm. case, it struck at both of them incredibly hard. Yeah. And so I quadruple checked everything. I knew it was a big story, a very important story, not only to Luis Elizondo and the UAP loving crowd, which includes myself, uh, but bigger, you know, that if this was yeah. something that was wrongfully done, potentially to to take shots at Luis Elizondo's credibility, uh, that didn't fly with me. You know, it didn't matter what yeah. I believed personally. Uh, it just <clears> didn't <throat> fly. And so I published it. And, you know, I I. I don't think it gets the attention it deserves uh, in the sense that this is a big deal. If they're taking one of their own and maliciously destroying a paper trail that could either prove or disprove his integrity about the story, that to me is a big deal. Um, I do know that it ended up uh, within the, my story ended up within the office of the uh, Department of Defense Inspector General with his complaint. So I know that, mm. you know, it reached those halls. Uh, where it's going to um, go after that, I'm 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 not really sure. But it, long, a very long-winded way of saying both sides of this story have many unanswered questions and have done things or said things that don't match up. And so yeah. for me, I don't take a side. You know, like you had mentioned, there are sides. You're either with us or against us. Well, no, we should just be on the side of asking questions until we get the truth, which is yes. what I consider myself, but common sense, it, common sense, yeah. logic yes. and, and common sense. But sadly, yeah. a lot of people don't care about those two things. I did want to um, be aware of your time and, and just have one last question for you. And that sure. is getting back to what you said before about that. There are some things that you were excited about in the UAP report and that weren't just huge disappointments. So maybe we can end on a positive note. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Positive notes are always good. Uh, so with the, with the UAP report, of course, I was disappointed from the starting gate, uh, meaning I, I got it. 
had immediately put it on the black vault because the DNI website kept crashing and so on. So as I'm like programming that on one monitor, I'm like trying to read on the other one, you know, and, and look through it. And it was a very big letdown. So I had gotten it out there on my site, kind of took a deep breath, so to speak, and read it again. And then you realize, okay, there are some tidbits in here. There's some, some nuggets there where I was let down, no visuals, no cases, no dates, yeah. no times, no nothing. And for me, again, being that, that researcher, that would have been golden because that that's what I call FOIA fodder. You know, you, you go after that type of material, but what you do see is that there was a small percentage in this report uh, after they kind of blow things out of the water, so to speak, birds and, 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 you know, all their silly yeah, explanations. <laughs> but then at the, I still wanted to see seagulls in there. If you watch Mick West, uh, it might be an inside joke, but I mean, swamp gas. Swamp gas. Yeah. That would be another one that, that you would think you'd, you'd see in there. So regardless, you, you get beyond that. And then all of a sudden there's this very small percentage reference to cases that have had near misses. So there are physical objects of near misses in the air, but also other ones exhibiting essentially extraordinary capability, you know, mm. that they were intelligently controlled, even what they called signature management. So essentially, in mm. my opinion, you know, like a stealth capability that they could take their, their signature that they create and, and manage it, you know, essentially either maybe make mm. themselves disappear, make them look like something that they're not. Those That's all technology that we're exploring right now through DARPA and, and some other agencies, but regardless that that's from a militaristic standpoint, a, a huge value, but also shows intelligence also shows potential threat also shows something that we need to understand. So when you look at those small paragraphs, you realize they are seeing stuff that's worthy of scientific investigation, they are seeing stuff that we need to look at. And I think that that's where that's where the gold lies within a very big letdown just because we didn't get the, you know, the eye candy, everybody wants visuals and footage and, and photographs and so on. But when you look at that, there are those golden nuggets that you just have to look at process and go after. And I can tell you that that report launched more than 45 FOIA cases for me. So I went through and, and literally line by line, and tried to figure out what I could FOIA from that line. Because to your point, everything matters. And it's true, yeah. everything does matter. And the moment something is published in an, on an official level, whether it be from a spokesperson's office or report or whatever it might be, the moment that happens and it's put out there, it's citable in a legal sense. Yeah. So I can go after XYZ through FOIA and go on page four of your UAP report, you guys said that there's 21 reports uh, based on this. So that solidifies a fact that they can't get beyond. And so I go after yeah. that. Uh, same with, with communication. Uh, I'm big on communication and seeing how things are done. So the general public sees a final product, I mean, whether it be a letdown or an excitement or a world changing event, doesn't matter. That's what they see. What I wanted, what I want to see is what went into that final product. So I go after communications, emails, uh, essentially unraveling the story about how that was created. So that's what I go for. So definitely over 45 cases. And I'm also, I posted this publicly, uh, filed a case to get the classified version of the UAP report 
released or at least reviewed Ooh. and partially released. I'm already writing the appeal when they deny it. Uh, <laughs> but I do believe that I have uh, a, a... At least you're realistic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. But you, you know, you never know until you try. But I think that, uh, you know, joking aside, when they deny a document, it, it may actually reveal certain aspects to that report mainly what what exemptions will they cite because at this point the general public is only told it's classified right so that so why is it classified Mm -hmm. through foia or what i filed through what's called a mandatory declassification review that is actually outside of foia and that mandates an agency as long as they haven't reviewed the document in the last 24 months to look at the document and potentially review it for release so they can classify whatever they want whether they can maintain the classification, that's a different story. So mm. general public says, oh, is told, oh, it's classified, but I want to know why. So if they do exempt it outright, they have to tell me why. So if it's mm. exemption B1 of the FOIA and it's national security, that's going to tell me more of the story. Even though I didn't get a single character from the report, now yeah. we know threat to national security. If they only exempt it for sources and methods reasons, um, generally, that's like under a B3 exemption, generally, uh, because an internal statute would say, no, no, we can't, we can't release this. That will also tell me a story. If it's a combination of exemptions, that will tell me a story. So for me, you have to take whatever piece of the puzzle you can get, because in the end, you're trying to put the whole darn thing together. And that's the only way yeah. you can do it. And for me, just being told, oh, it's classified, that's not good enough. And so this case will potentially tell me why. And then when I appeal it, uh, that's where I think I have a little bit of a, of a trick up my sleeve where I'll get something from it. Uh, everything likely not. Uh, and, and to your audience uh, portion that may be laughing like, ha he'll never get it. Uh, you're in full. That is you're likely right. I'm not aiming for the full thing though. I'm looking for the segments that can get released because sometimes they will reveal those dates, those times, I don't know what's in the classified report, but again, that's what you go for. And that's what you try and, and get because that piece of the puzzle connects to 12 others, you know, and that's, yeah. that's the only way that you can actually do it. But it's, it's the portion that actually would be revealing. And that's, that's what I'm, I'm going for. And to close that thought, I do have numerous examples of classified reports that if you just let them sit, executive order mandates, I think like at least 25 years that they would sit there classified. However, I've been able through either MDR or FOIA, get them out and partially declassified that tells part of the story. And it's always fun to see when they create those documents, like a top secret document, they'll put it at the bottom. Don't, don't declassify before, you know, June 1st, uh, 2055 or whatever it is. So to see that in 2021, you're like, yeah, that's a win, you know, even though partially <laughs> it's, it's redacted, but it's, it's very exciting to see that, that you've, you've circumvented the natural process of it being declassified and you filed a case to get it keeps me, uh, keeps me motivated. It puts a smile on my face in the morning. You've had some it's good awesome. successes with appeals, man. Like, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, some failures too. Uh, you know, I, I won't, I won't shy away from the failures. There's, there's probably more of those, but that's why you try though. It's those, those rare successes. Oh man. Well, I uh, am one of the people that lives off of those successes of yours. So 
Thank you so much, man. I have so many more questions I want to ask you. And uh, yeah, just come back. Would you, you come back and do this again? Hours. Of course. Yeah, you guys are a lot of fun. I would come back anytime. Great. Well, I've well, uh, I've just been uh, staring that skull behind your head oh, yeah. <laughs> deeply into my soul. I feel like it knows my social it's, now. It's staring right back at you. It'll tell me what you're really thinking here when we're done. Yeah, buddy. Uh, I, I let well, my, when you find out, let me know. I, I, I uh, talked about this really quickly on a live stream the other day, uh, but my, my son, my son is seven. And so he gets a kick out of like putting stuff behind me and like like this is his drone this is his ufo drone once nice. nice. in uh he put the, the skull up there uh there was one live stream he actually did he, he did a really good job of it a baby yoda because he knows i love star yeah. wars and so he yeah. takes it behind me so yeah there's all sorts of random stuff if you watch my live streams they'll just like pop up randomly one time like people squint going what's that behind him uh it's my seven-year-old he loves to do it so i i just I just roll with it you know we'll just nice. go yeah. it's fun for me i screenshot stuff and then zoom in trying to see what it is yeah, so yeah. tell him i said thanks I, I, well I who knows what he'll discover man you started at 15 you know yeah now he's man, starting at seven kid. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, I hope he, he gets interested. He said something the other day about an alien. He's like, daddy, you must love that. Right. I was like, why? And he goes, cause it's got aliens in it. You love aliens. Aww, All right. You're beautiful. catching on. I'm okay. going to cry. So yeah, Aww. he gets it. Awesome. I love it. Dude, you're amazing. Can't yeah. wait to have you back on. Anytime. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the, uh, the invitation and, and thanks for a good fun conversation too. I always enjoy that. Man. Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football fantasypoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play whether you play fantasy football daily fantasy sports or do a little bit of everything fantasy points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.